morning, Orchard. I'm sorry. Does that song make anybody else want to dance besides me? I just kind of backstage. You should see what I'm doing behind the curtain before I come out here. I, I, I tone it down by the time I get out here. Hey, take out your Bibles and your mobile devices this morning. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll be in verse 16 in just a moment. Um, if you don't have a Bible or mobile device with you that has uh, scriptures on it, we'll also put these on the screen for you. Today, we're continuing our summer series called, help me out, You Asked For It. You guys submitted hundreds of questions uh, about the Bible and about life, and we're answering them from a biblical perspective uh, throughout the summer. You're kind of helping us decide what the message topics are each week. And we got a lot of questions from you guys about the Bible. You know, how did we get the Bible? How was it written? Who wrote it? And really, if you saw Summed it all up, you guys are asking this question, can we really trust the Bible today? And so that's the question we're going to answer today, can we really trust the Bible? Let me ask you this by a show of hands, how many of you would agree that we all tend to have trust issues today in the world we live in? It's hard to trust, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you live in Colorado, I never can trust the weathermen and women in Colorado. I have, I have shoveled partly cloudy off of my driveway way too many times in, in the spring, and, and, you know, because we have trust issues, people often ask this question and wonder, is there any such thing as absolute truth today? I mean, is there any such thing in absolute truth that we can always count on and it never lets us down? One USA Today poll found that 67% of Americans said they don't believe there's any such thing as absolute truth today. That, that there's nothing we can absolutely believe. We, we have trust issues. We have a hard time trusting and believing really anything. Um, I'm reminded of this in a little joke. Now, let me give a disclaimer right now. Ladies, I'm just going to apologize right now for this joke, okay? Will you forgive Pastor Doug, okay? There was a lady, and she was in her bathroom, and she got up on her scale, okay? And she was weighing herself, and she looked down, and she saw what her weight was, and she said, there's no way that I weigh this much. This scale is lying, her little daughter was standing there beside her and said, looked up and said, Mommy, you look like you weigh that much. Uh, I, 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 it's bad. I know. It's really, really bad. I, I told this joke to our, our Spanish pastor, Marcial, and he said, Well, you know, you can always trust two kinds of people, children and drunk people. They'll always speak the truth, <laughs> children and drunk people. But, you know, we don't like to face the truth. And, there's a, and, and the truth is there's not a lot of people we can trust today. And so is there any such thing as absolute truth? And ultimately the question today, can we... We trust the Bible, the Word of God. And I want to look at a passage this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And Peter was one of the apostles. He was one of the disciples that walked and talked with Jesus. And he gives us a passage here about the Bible and really is answering the question in this passage, can we trust the Bible? Is it reliable? And he makes a case and he says this. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, you see, some people don't believe it. They're skeptical. We don't know if we can trust. He says, listen, I'm telling you the truth. We didn't make this up. We saw his majestic splendor with our what? Own eyes. We walked with Jesus. We talked with Jesus. When we received honor and glory from God the Father. So not only had the disciples and Peter seen Jesus, been with Jesus, but they heard the audible voice of God. How many of y'all, that'd be really cool. I mean, if you could hear the audible voice of God. And he talks about it. He says, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves, what's the next word, church? heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So the apostles got to be with Jesus, see Jesus, and hear the audible voice of God. I mean, that's pretty uh, definitive and what they can 
we can trust what they're telling us. But then he expands it a little more in verse 19. And he says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in what? In the message proclaimed by the prophets. Now, where do we today find the message that was proclaimed by the prophets? He goes on and says, you must pay close attention to what they, what's the next word? Everybody say wrote. What they wrote. Where do we find the message of prophets and what they wrote? We find it in this book, in the word of God. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. And he says this, he's making a case here. You can trust the Bible. You can trust God's word. You can trust what he says. And he says in verse 20, above all, if you don't get anything else, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in where? The scripture. The Bible contains scripture. It's full of scripture. In scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. In other words, these guys weren't making this stuff up when they wrote it down. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit as they, let's say it to church, let's say it together, church, as they spoke from God. Okay, that was like two of you, that's pathetic, you got to work with me this morning. They, they, no, no, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit as they what? Spoke from God. That's why we consider this God's word because God spoke and they wrote it down. But they weren't writing what they thought or their ideas or their opinions. You could trust the Bible because the, the writing was coming from a God who spoke to them. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 160 said it this way. The entirety of your word is what? True. Not, not part of it, not some of it, the entirety of it. This is important because here at Orchard Church, this is a church that for 10 years has been founded on the Word of God. Our number one value here at Orchard Church is we always ask the question, help me out, what does the Bible say? Not what does Pastor Doug say, not what does Orchard Church say, what does the Bible say? And here at Orchard Church, I want you to hear this loud and clear, because unfortunately, this is sad, but in some churches today, some pastors today are saying, we believe the Bible contains truth. I don't agree with that statement. I don't believe that the Bible just contains truth, I believe it is truth. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, that's what the psalmist said. Now listen, if you won't believe anybody else that this book is from God and, and, and is, is full of truth and is truth, would you trust Jesus? Okay, one over here said yes. The rest of you I'm going to pray for. Let me ask you that question again. Will you trust Jesus? Okay, well, here's what Jesus said. In John 17, 17, Jesus himself said, sanctify them through your truth, your what? Word is truth. That's what we believe here at Orchard Church, that the word of God is truth. You see, and this is, this is probably the most important message of our entire series because all these questions you're giving us and these topics, we're going to the word of God and saying, what does the Bible say? But we have to first answer the question, can we really trust the Bible? And here's the deal. If it can be proven that the Bible is true and it comes from God, then the issue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is settled because the Bible says he died, was buried, and rose again. The issue of salvation, eternity, and heaven is settled. And every issue of life is settled if we can prove the Bible is true. If you agree, say yes. So this is a very, very important question we're going to answer this morning. And I want to give you today just three reasons why I believe we can trust the Bible as absolute truth. Three reasons this morning. I hope you'll take some notes there in your newsletter. Now, your pastor, Pastor Doug, is known to speak at 50 miles per hour with gust up to 70. 
This is going to, I'm just going to warn you now, this is going to be one of those Sundays. So I'm going to talk fast, you think fast, you write fast. Don't even try to write all this stuff down because I'm going to give you a lot of information. I just want to, I just want to allow you to soak it in. You can go back to our website, orchardchurch.tv. The message will be on there. You can listen to it, audio, watch it, get the details. But let me give you three reasons why I believe we can trust the Bible today. The first one is this. We can trust the Bible today because of the Bible's unexplainable unity. Because of the unexplainable unity of the Bible. The way this book was put together, I believe, is evidence in itself that this could not be the work of man. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul said, what's the first word, church? All, not some, not most, all scripture is inspired by God. It's inspired by God. This word inspired comes from two Greek words. Pneumotheos means God breathed. Now you say, but I thought men and some women wrote the Bible. Well, they were the instrument that God used, but God was doing the dictating. God was doing the talking. You guys do this all the time in this way. How many of y'all have an iPhone? You got Siri, okay? I mean, isn't it awesome when you're driving down the road, you know, you're not supposed to text, so you push and Siri comes on. And doesn't it drive you crazy when she's like, I'm not available right now. I'm like, ah, but when she's available, you know, I can say, hey, text Shelly, I'm on my way home for dinner right now. And she'll send that text to her, and then Shelly gets the text. She doesn't see it as a text from Siri. She sees it as a text from me. Siri was just the instrument that was used. That's the same way we got our Bible. God used humans as the instrument, but God was doing the speaking. God was doing the talking. If you're with me, say yes. And, and so, and, but in this, it, it shows us the unexplainable unity of the Bible that, that man couldn't have done this. Both in its content and construction, it's proved that this is a supernatural book. Let me give you some evidence to consider. And don't try to write all this down. The, the word Bible means books. The Bible is actually a collection of books. 66 individual books that were written that make up the Bible. But what's amazing and unexplainable in its unity is from the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation, this book reads as one continuous story with a unity that is humanly unexplainable. Many of you may not know this, but the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. It wasn't written in a day, a month, or a year, or one generation. It was written over 60 generations. God used 40 different authors to pen our Bible. And these people came from all different walks of life with different uh, cultures and different opinions. The Bible was written by kings, queens, poor, rich, farmers, doctors, tent makers, carpenters, housewives, tax collectors, historians, princes, soldiers, fishermen, prophets, male and female. God used all those types of people to write the word of God. It was written in many different places and three different continents. And culture certainly affects any writing. The Bible is written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. And it was not like they were all writing on subject that everybody agrees about. The Bible was written about hundreds of different controversial subjects like creation, life, death, eternity, uh, morality, parenting, marriage, money, love, sexuality, politics. And yet it constantly agrees with itself and says the same thing. It's unexplainable in its unity. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say I gave a homework assignment to you guys here at Orchard Church today. And I said, here's what I want you guys to do. Uh, I want you to go home today and I want you to write a one-page article 
on what you believe on different topics. I mean, after all, we all go to the same church. We live in basically the same community. We believe in the same God. And so I want you to go home and write a one-page article about these subjects. Morality, love, death, marriage, parenting, and money. And I want you to bring them back next Sunday, and we're going to take whatever you wrote, and we're going to put it together in a book, and on the front of the book, it's going to say, what Orchard Church believes about these subjects? Go ahead, you can laugh. (laughs) That would be one of the most confusing, self-conflicting, ridiculous things that you have ever read. Would you agree? It would be a mess. It would, it would be conflicting, and it would, it would not say the same thing. But when it comes to the Bible, you have a book that it's unexplainable in its unity that was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, different times, places, walks of life, hundreds of controversial subjects, yet from the beginning to the end, there's one unfolding story that fits together perfectly, and it never once contradicts itself or records any errors. Listen, church, that is humanly unexplainable. It is supernatural, it's unparalleled, it's unequaled. There is no book like this book, the Word of God. And it'd be okay if any of you got excited about that this morning. I would not be upset at all. So can we really trust the Bible? I believe we can, first of all, because of the Bible's unexplainable unity. Proves it to be true, reliable, and trustworthy. Let me give you another reason. This is a fun one. Some of you will really enjoy this one. Um, I believe another reason we can trust the Bible is because of its uncoincidental prophecies. And if you think it's hard to write that down, try saying that in three different services. Uncoincidental prophecies. This book has the ability to predict the future with 100% accuracy. In 6,000 years of human history, the Bible has never been wrong. You say, well, how many predictions are there? A prophecy is where God predicts something hundreds or thousands of years before it happens, and then it comes true. There's not one prophecy in the Bible. There's not 10 or 20 or 100. There's over 10,365 prophecies in the Bible. Now, the good news is we're not going to cover all of them this morning. And everybody said, amen. But I'm going to give you three. Now, now, the reason that the Bible has so many prophecies is because we have a God who is the God of prophecy, who's the author of this book, and nobody can predict the future like God can. He reminds us of this in Isaiah chapter 48. Let's look at this on the screen. God said, long ago I told you what was going to happen. Then suddenly I took action. And let's say it together. All my predictions came true. Not some, not a few, all of them. For I know, now, God, now why did you do this, God? Why did you put 10,365 prophecies in the Bible? God tells us why. And this isn't easy to swallow, but here it comes. God says, I did this because I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Your necks are as unbending as iron and your heads are as hard as bronze. God's words, not mine. My dad used to tell me this all the time. Doug, you're hard-headed. This And God said, that is why I told you what would happen, and I told you beforehand what I was going to do. Why? God's saying, I know how you're not easily convinced. It's hard to believe anybody. It's hard to trust anybody. And so my prophecies are proof that you can trust the Bible, and you can trust the author and the God of the Bible. If you're with me, say yes. So let me me just give you three fun, uncoincidental prophecies, just three that I believe remind us and prove to us that this book is trustworthy and it's from God and it cannot be from man. The first one is the prophecies concerning the nation of Israel. 
the nation of Israel. I mean, what's up with this little country in the Middle East about the size of Rhode Island? It's a blip on the map, but have you ever noticed how Israel seems to always dominate the news? I mean, all the news stations are always talking about Israel. Why does it dominate the news? I'll tell you why. Because Israel dominates the Bible, and God is the God of history. One theologian said it this way, Israel is the great sign God has given to the world to prove his existence, to prove the Bible is true, and to prove that God is in charge of history. Now, here's what's interesting. Don't miss this. In the last 60 years of Israel's history, we have seen prophecies fulfilled before our very eyes. And many of these prophecies have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, let's forget the the timing of all the events. But let me just ask this. How many of you as believers believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Amen? He's coming again. And there are some significant prophecies about his second coming. Just like we're going to talk about in a moment, it prophesied about his first coming. And there's a lot of prophecy in the scripture about the nation of Israel as a nation in regards to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that just like this stage was set this morning, God has set the world stage for the second coming of Jesus Christ and all the things that have to do with the nation of Israel. But it hasn't always been this way. It has not always been this way. In the last 2,000 years, Bible scholars couldn't see what some of us have seen in the last 70, 80 years happen in our history. Because for over 1,900 years, Israel was not even a nation. Because they had been scattered around the world, just like God prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and many other scriptures. God said, if you as a nation disobey me, don't trust me, don't follow my word, I'm going to punish you by scattering you throughout the nations of the world. Now, this is important. God said he would scatter the nation of Israel, but he did not say that he would destroy them or make them extinct. Whether you're a believer or not, you can check it out in the history books. No other nation in human history has ever lost their homeland to another group of people or country and yet contained their identity and retained their identity for any significant time. But yet Israel did it for over 1,900 years. I mean, even people that are not believers, historians say that is humanly unexplainable. Some of you know this, but the fact is this. Do you remember this in history? This is in all your history books. In 70 AD, Israel was kicked out of their homeland by Rome. If you remember that, say yes. You know what I'm talking about. They were, they, Rome conquered Israel and drove the Jews out of their homeland. And yet for 1,900 years, somehow they, they kept their identity, but they didn't have a homeland. That's humanly impossible, except God said it was going to happen. And in Ezekiel 37, 21, we have this prophecy. God says, I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations where they were scattered in 70 AD. I will bring them home to their, say it church, own land from the places where they have been scattered. I will unify them into one nation on the mountain of Israel. Now, hang on. This is the deal. For 1900 years, this was an unfulfilled prophecy. They were not in their homeland. They were not a nation. But on May 14, 1948, it was declared that Israel was a nation once again. And they have been going back to Israel in droves ever since. Some of you saw that happen in your lifetime. We won't ask you to raise your hand, okay? But in 1948, you remember this event. It was a significant event. And 8 million Jews have returned to Israel since 1948. 70 years ago or so, this prophecy seemed impossible. 
But God said in the last days, I'm going to do this. I will be a nation. And we've seen it happen in our lifetime, many of us. And these prophecies concerning Israel, I believe, is evidence that this book is true. And if you want to just say wow right now, you can say wow. I mean, that is an amazing thing that for 1,900 years people tried to explain away and said, see, the Bible isn't true, and then boom, we saw it happen. Let me give you another uncoincidental prophecy concerning Jesus himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There are over 360 specific prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, written hundreds, some thousands of years before Jesus ever came to this earth. They predicted his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection before he was ever born. And every one of these prophecies was fulfilled exactly like the Bible said it was going to happen. Now, there have been some people come along, skeptics, and say, well, that was just a coincidence. It was just an accident. I mean, sooner or later, somebody was bound to be born to kind of line up with these things. 360 specific prophecies about the Messiah. Well, some people a lot smarter than me called numerologists, using the principle of probability put some numbers to this. And they said, what's the probability of one man just accidentally by coincidence being born into this earth to fulfill the prophecies about the Messiah? And they said, you know, let's not even take the 360. Let's just take eight of the main prophecies, just eight of the 360 that were fulfilled. What is the probability and chances of one man just coincidentally, accidentally fulfilling these prophecies by chance? They said the chances are one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but that's one with 17 zeros after it. I don't know what that number is like, one gazillion, bazillion, bazillion, I don't know. But it's a lot. So to help us wrap our minds around this, somebody put this in an illustrative form, and they said it would be like this. It would be like if someone took quarters and they stacked them two foot deep over the entire state of Texas. And they took one quarter and they put a red mark on one of those quarters. And they mixed them all up with a bulldozer. They blindfolded somebody. They get a chance to walk into the state of Texas and they got one chance to pick up the quarter with the red dot. That's the chances of Jesus Christ fulfilling even eight prophecies. And listen, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fulfilled 360. Now, yeah, just like the Bible said. Now, somebody said it this way, either the Bible is true or Jesus was the luckiest man to ever live. I think we know the answer. Here's a third uncoincidental prophecy, not only concerning Israel and Jesus, but the prophecies concerning the last days. I, I really love this one. In, in Daniel chapter 12, God gave a prophecy to Daniel about the last days. And if you're, you're new to Church of the Bible, the last days are the days before the return of Jesus Christ that many of you said you believe is, is coming, one of these days, and we believe soon. And Daniel said this. Uh, God said to Daniel, gave him this prophecy, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy as a secret. Set, seal up the book until the time of when? The end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Everybody say, rush here and there. There was this prophecy that before the return of Christ, that there would be this, this massive group of people that would begin to rush here and there. And many Bible scholars have said they believe that's referring to a vast increase in the speed and frequency of travel. Now, this was written about 3,000 years ago. This prophecy was given to Daniel. How many of y'all remember a man in school you may have studied? His name was Sir Isaac Newton, famous scientist. You remember Sir, Sir Isaac Newton? He was actually a Christian. And in 1680... 1680, 
he read this prophecy in the scripture, and this is what he wrote. He said, personally, I cannot help but believe these words refer to the end times before the return of Christ. Men will travel from country to country in an unprecedented manner. There may be some inventions. Remember, 1680 was when this was written. There may be some inventions that will enable people to travel much more frequently and quickly than they do now. That speed might even exceed 40 miles per hour. Now you laugh at that. But listen to this one. Eighty years after Sir Isaac Newton said that about the prophecy in Daniel written 3,000 years ago, another man that you may have studied in school, a French atheist named Voltaire. How many of you remember that guy? Voltaire, okay? Not Vulture, Voltaire. After reading what Sir Isaac Newton said 80 years before in 1680, here's what he wrote. He said, see what a fool Christianity makes of an otherwise brilliant man. Here is a scientist like Newton who actually writes that man might travel at speeds up to 30 or 40 miles per hour based on a Bible verse in Daniel. Has he forgotten if man travels at this rate of speed, he would suffocate and his heart would stand still. Now that's worth laughing at. I would like us all to bow for prayer right now as we travel home today exceeding 40 miles per hour, that we will not suffocate and our hearts stand still. (laughs) See, you look around and you see the uncoincidental prophecies of the Bible with Israel, with Jesus, with the last days, being fulfilled before our very eyes, proving to us once and again, the Bible is true. It can be trusted. It's not the work of man. It's the work of God. It is the word of God. Let me give you one more. Can you handle one more? Let me give you one more. We've looked at the Bible's unexplainable unity, the Bible's uncoincidental prophecies. Let me give you the third reason why I believe we can trust the Bible. It has to do with the Bible's unimaginable teachings, the teachings of this book. When you read the teaching of the Bible, it proves that God had to be the author of this book. It's been well said that man could not write the Bible if he would, and man would not write the Bible if he could. Let me give you some examples. Let's start with the teachings about God. The teachings about God. You see, there's some things that people know about God, but we tend to take them for granted because we've heard them over and over. That that, that our God is infinite. He's boundless. He's unlimited. He's endless. He's he's eternal. He's everlasting. Uh, We have a God who's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Um, We believe in a God that is a trinity, God the Father, Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, because that's what the Bible teaches us. And most Americans have heard some of these things about God, but here's the thing. When you take all of the attributes and characteristics about God found in the Bible, it absolutely transcends man's finite intellect. It, it blows our minds, doesn't it? You see, there's no way such a finite being like man could invent such an infinite being like the God that you read about in the scriptures. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 40, verse 5, O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Can we say amen? Amen. You see, when you compare, now there's, how many would agree there's a lot of man-made gods out there today? That man has invented. And when you compare the God of the Bible to other man-made gods, there's no comparison to our God. There's no comparison to his awesomeness, his power, his majesty, his splendor, his character. And that is why our God, above any false God, is deserving of our worship today. Amen? 
He is, we could celebrate that. He is deserving of our worship, which is why I hope all of you are going to be back here tonight at 6 o'clock at Prairie View High School because we're going to have a night of worship because our God deserves it. Amen? And so, I mean, don't you appreciate our incredible worship team here at Orchard Church? They do an amazing job, amen, of leading us in worship. <clears throat> and tonight, I hope you'll come at 6 o'clock. Um, not only are we going to enjoy an incredible night of worship together, worshiping our amazing God, but we're going to have a little family meeting just briefly tonight. Sometimes you just need a family meeting. So if you consider Orchard Church your church home, God's been doing some things behind the scenes uh, that we weren't aware of, but now have been made aware of, and that we want to share with you tonight. We want you all to hear it same way, same time and place. So I hope you can make it tonight for night of worship, and we're going to share some things with you. But the teachings of God, I believe, prove that man did not and could not have written the Bible. Let me give you another example of the unimaginable teachings of the Bible. It's the teachings not only about God that we read about in the Bible, but the teachings about man himself, about man. You see, if we read the Bible, this book, it teaches that man, or what it teaches about man, no man would have written these things about himself. And yet, God used man to write the Bible. And the Bible teaches that man is sinful, corrupt, depraved, helpless, and hopeless, I mean, would men really and women say those things about themselves if they're writing this book? The, the language of the Bible goes against human nature. You see, man wants to feel good about himself. We say things like, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. We say things like, you're the man. And the Bible says, no, you're not. It says, it says something different than that. If man is going to set some standards for himself, like those you read in the Bible, he's going to at least make them attainable, but that's not what you find taught in the Bible. Paul said it this way. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing good dwells. Nothing. Without God, we are helpless and hopeless and lost forever. You, you look at the heroes, some of the heroes of the Bible, the heroes of faith, like men like Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and some of the women of the Bible, like Ruth and Esther and Sarah and Mary you know, th these, these people, these men that God used and women to write the Bible, they did incredible things for God recorded in the Bible. But here's the thing, don't miss this. The Bible also includes some of the horrible things they did. And they wrote them down themselves. Why? Because God told them what to write. L let me give you an example. Think about a man named Jonah. How many of you guys have heard of a man named Jonah? You know, you probably heard Jonah and the whale. You know, we don't know for sure if it was a whale. It was a big fish, probably a whale. But Jonah, there's a story about this man. It's not a good story. Jonah runs from God. He disobeys God. He's got a bad attitude. I mean, there's nothing good about Jonah, really, and, and what he did. But what's interesting is, guess who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah. If I'm Jonah, I'm like, I'm just going to leave that book out of the Bible. I don't want to record this story. You know, I, I'm glad God did not ask Pastor Doug to write a book in the Bible. You'd be like, okay, Doug, wrote, write this down, what you said yesterday or did yesterday. No, gosh, no, not that, God. But, but these men wrote these things, the good things they did, but also the bad things. Think about David. I mean, David was the man that wrote down that he was a man after God's own heart. Now, that's good news about David. But remember, David also had to record the story of when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. If I'm David and I'm writing my story, I'm going to leave that out. But it proves that he didn't leave it out because God told him what to say and what to write down. Now, why would these men write this stuff? If they didn't, 
God did. God just used them as the instrument. He was doing the talking. Man could not write the things concerning the teachings of God, and man would not write the teachings concerning man. And this last teaching, I think, really nails it, proving once and for all that this book had to have come from God, and it's true. And it's the unimaginable teachings in regards to salvation. You know, all the religions of the world have some kind of teaching of how you can be saved, go to heaven, or someplace like heaven, or have eternal life. But what the Bible teaches about salvation, I believe, proves that man did not write this book. Because natural man's way of obtaining salvation is always the same. It's by some work, some human effort that we do, some standard or ritual that we keep. This is why 98% of all the religions of the world that have been made up by man, if you want to have eternal life and go to heaven, this is what you must do. It's some work that you do. But the Bible's way of salvation is not based on any human works. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of your what? Yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. It's not something we can work for lest anyone should boast. Man doesn't think like that. Whenever we want to obtain something, the question is always, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? So if man is inventing this, he's going to say, well, these are all the things you have to do. Yet the Bible says there's nothing you can do. It's about what Jesus already did for you. And you, all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him. And you look at all the man-made religions of the world, and it's always based upon what we do instead of what Jesus did, proving that this book is from God himself. Now, I've given you a lot of facts, a lot of information you can go back and watch it online, get the details. Let me, let me boil it down very simply for you. You know, the Bible says sometimes it's out of the mouth of babes that we get truth. And uh, I want to give a spoiler warning right now. If you're parents and you have young children in here, this is a spoiler warning. So you might want to close their ears um, or put them in kids' ministry real quick. When my son was five years old, Caleb, he's 20 years old now. 15 years ago when he was five years old, we were driving in the car one day. I'll never forget this conversation. And we started asking him some questions. And we said, uh, you know, and, and we don't have any problem believing in characters and things like that, you know, Mickey Mouse and Santa Claus. And we, we have fun with those. And we're not like, you know, ooh, those are evil. But we want to make sure that he understands there's a difference between Jesus, who's real, and fictional characters. And so we were kind of testing him one day, five years old. And we said, Caleb, is the Easter Bunny real? And he thought for a minute. And he said, no, I think he's just for fun. And we said, okay. We said, how about the tooth fairy? You know, when you lose a tooth and you put it on, you know, under your pillow, you get money. Is, is the tooth fairy real? And he goes, no, I think that that's just for fun. We said, what about Santa Claus? You, you believe in Santa Claus? You know, is, 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 is Santa Claus real? And he, go, he thought for a second. He goes, no, that's, I think it's just for fun. And we said, okay. We said, well, what about Jesus? Is Jesus real? Or is he just like all those other characters? He says, oh, no, Jesus is real. And we said, well, how do you know? Have you ever seen Jesus? No. And I said, well, we said, well, how do you know Jesus is real and the, those others are just for fun? He says, because it's in the Bible, and the Bible is always true. Five years old. I can't add anything to that, y'all. It's in the Bible, and the Bible is always true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together today. I pray that you have spoken to some hearts for those who already believe your word is true, that, that their faith has been strengthened and grown today. For maybe some of those that have come in a little skeptical, I pray that your word has brought faith to them today, that they would know in a world of chaos 
And a lot of things that we cannot believe in and trust in, that we have absolute truth in your word, the one thing on this earth that we can count on, that will never let us down. So we continue in an attitude of prayer right now. Can we really trust the Bible? I, I believe we can. And I believe there's many of you today that you would say, you would have already said yes, even before this message. So, so what now? What do we do with this? What are the practical implications for our lives today? Well, if we truly believe the Bible is true, if we'd say, yes, I believe the Bible is true, are we living like it? Are we reading it? I mean, there's so many things we spend our time looking at and reading and studying that aren't true. Are we spending as much or more time reading the one thing we believe is truth? Are we reading it? Are we studying it? Are we applying it? Are we obeying it? You know, we say we believe the Bible is true, but do we live like it? Do we live like it? And I want to just ask, how many of you as believers in Jesus Christ this morning, you say, you know, God has spoken to my heart. I don't want to just say the Word of God is true. I want to live like the Word of God is true. And would you pray for me, Pastor Doug, that people would see the Word of God lived out in my life. Would you slip up your hand for prayer right now all across this auditorium? God bless you. Thank you. Hands are everywhere. Father, I pray that we would live out your Word, that we would be living epistles, as your Word says, that we would be living walking, breathing examples that we believe your word is true and it's from you and that when people would see how it affects our lives, our marriages, our families, our finances, uh, what we do, what we don't do, that we would say we, it's because we believe your word is true and we believe that you are real and that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. So we continue in an attitude of prayer right now. Maybe there's some of you here today and you came in a little skeptical. Maybe you're new on your journey your faith journey. We're glad you're here. And we, and we want you to know that we, we accept you right where you are. We want to help you and point you to Jesus, but it's a personal decision only you can make. And I think there's two responses to today's message for skeptics today, or for those that just aren't sure. Maybe you walk out of here and you say, you know, that really didn't prove anything. That's silly. It's foolish. And you'll go out the same way you came in. And that's okay. But maybe some of you, God has done, done something in your heart and your life today. God is speaking to you. Jesus said it this way. He said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And for some of you, I believe he's revealed himself to you today, and he offers eternal life and abundant life to you today if you'll just open your heart and life to him. So you know, you know who you are. If God is speaking to you today, and it's time for you to say yes to Jesus. You say, I believe the Bible is true. I believe Jesus is true, and I believe that I need Jesus in my life. And you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. I'll help you with the prayer. You can pray it from your heart to God's right now. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith and belief behind it, you can invite Jesus into your life today. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me and mean it? It goes like this. Jesus, I do believe in you. I do believe your word is true. And I need you. I'm saying yes to you today. Jesus, come into my life. I accept you by faith. I know there's nothing I can do. Thank you for dying for me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, saving me. Thank you. Heads bowed, nice slow. No, we'd look around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But I love the privilege and honor to pray for you. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just right now without hesitation, would you just slip up your hand and say, yes, I prayed that prayer because I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Yes, thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. A couple people. Anyone else? Yes, I, yes. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you. 
several people. Father, I thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. I pray they grow in the relationship with you by studying and reading your word as you speak to them, by praying and sharing their thoughts and feelings with you, and that they would grow in their walk and relationship with you this day forward. I pray that we would all be doers of your word and not just hearers only. We thank you that you've given us your word, that it's true, that it's everlasting, and that we can know you in a personal way. And I pray that we would live it out. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. Amen. If you made a decision for Christ this morning, you raised your hand, said you accepted Christ, you prayed that prayer of faith, you meant it, please, please let us know about that. We take that very serious here at Orchard Church. Um, let us know on your connection card. Check that box that says, I accepted Christ. Give us your contact information, your mailing address. We're going to send you a free book in the mail that will help you in your new walk with Christ. If you're a first-time guest this morning here at Orchard Church, thanks so much for being our guest. Hopefully you fill that, that guest connection card in your newsletter. Drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by in just a moment. We're not interested in your money today, first time guest, but we're definitely interested in you. We'll send you a thank you note and a free gift in the mail. If you're a guest today or you're new to Orchard Church and I haven't had the privilege to meet you personally, I would love to do so. I'll be hanging out in the courtyard by the white tent, so come by and introduce yourself. Uh, next week, we continue our series, You Asked For It. We had a lot of questions about the family, uh, parenting and marriage and things like that, so next week, we thought it'd be appropriate. It's Father's Day, so next week, we're going to tackle family matters. So we're going to talk about family matters and answer some of your questions about the family. Uh, next week. Hope many of you will be back here tonight at 6 o'clock for our night of worship. Uh, right now, don't go anywhere. We're going to check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church. We also have an opportunity to continue to worship the Lord through our tithes and our offerings. So check this out. Love you guys.